Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, I'll be real with you. There was a stretch of that True Detective Night Country finale where I don't think I exhaled once. Like, I was just tense the whole time. The show just wrapped up its fourth season. Today on the podcast, you'll hear whether this season of True Detective sticks the landing. I'm Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Okay, so this past Sunday, we got the season finale of HBO's True Detective Night Country. There's a lot to talk about, but first, let me just give you a little taste. Can't you hear it? What? She's calling. Ah, no, 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 no. We're going to go back to the past now. No, I swear to God, it's here. We're not just going to walk around and wait for you to... Unfortunately, now I have shivers all over again just listening to that. That is actors Kaylee Reese and Jodie Foster. They play Trooper Navarro and Police Chief Liz Danvers, respectively. If you've not seen the show, if you've not seen the season, these two are investigating the mysterious death of a group of scientists and also the links that, uh, the, between their death and the case of a murdered indigenous woman. And this season of True Detective has some firsts, okay? It's the first season to have two lead characters both be women. Issa Lopez takes over the sh- as showrunner after years of the creator uh, Nick Pizzolatto running the show. Some critics have been calling this season the best True Detective season finale. Uh, look, we are we're going to have this conversation with an indigenous critic. We're just having a little bit of trouble connecting with her. In the meantime, Sarah Ty Black is here with their thoughts. Sarah Ty, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about the show. I'm excited to get it out of my system because I feel like it's been in my body ever since I saw that finale. So uh, let's let's do a scale of one to ten, if you will. This mm-hmm. being the best thing you've ever seen. What do you give the finale of Two Detectives season four? For the finale specifically, yeah. I say I give it an eight. It's nice. definitely the only the only true detective finale where I was like uh, 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 fist pumping, fist pumping. <laughs> uh, for the series, not an eight, maybe like a six or six and a half. But that fin- finale really had me. It had me going. I, I think there's a there's something really like magical about watching Kaylee Reese, who's not a professional actor by any stretch. Kaylee Reese has not acted before in things, and then uh, she's 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 used to fighting. That's you know that's the profession that she comes in. How do you feel like she that's does? That's not true, Ellen. Or to tell me more. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> that's not true, Ellen. Uh, I'm she being was corrected. A, a, Let's go. A film called Catch the Fair One, which also had oh, kind no. of thematics that were inter- intersecting with this yeah. missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Uh, she's a, a boxer who's trying to find her sister who's been yeah. sex trafficked so but she's most I, I, I sort of only knew her as a boxer as like in the stretch of, yeah. of, of the fighting thing yeah. so um, she is a revelation as an actor in this role yes, um, she's amazing can we talk a little bit about you know this idea of being a boxer turned actor she plays trooper Evangeline Navarro Callie is Afro-Indigenous so is her character what struck you about her performance as trooper Navarro 
Um, I think just first of all, and I hate to say this because this shouldn't be the standard to which we hold anything. There just yeah. aren't a lot of stories about Black Indigenous folks on screen, mm. especially not in terms of like reconnecting specifically within Indigenous communities like we see here. Yeah. We see a lot of tensions being unworked that she's kind of trying to play, find her place and also like her role as a police officer and how that might complicate all of those intersections. Yeah. I thought she was amazing. Uh, I want I want to place a little bit more of Kay Luis's character. This is an exchange between Trooper Navarro and uh, her former partner at this point, Chief Liz Danvers, played by Jodie Foster. I just want to warn people, the scene I'm about to play revolves around a discussion about a fictional murdered indigenous woman. Take a listen. It's not her tongue. How do you know? It's been six years. It can't be her tongue. Let me see it then. No. It's a woman's tongue. It's an Inupiaq woman's tongue. And you know this because your spirit animal came to you in a dream? My spirit animal eats old white ladies like you for breakfast, Nervous. Careful. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, how do you feel about the chemistry between Kaylee Reese and Jodie Foster? As much as it was something that I think formed the core of the show, I liked it a lot. A lot of myself was thinking, what might it look like to have a show where we weren't kind of working around that dynamic? What mm. might it mean to not have to be, have that like kind of initial threshold, I think specifically in terms of what it means to identify watching a show like this. Um, but that said, I, I love Jody. I love Kaylee. I think they both uh, did really well. And I think one of the things that uh, this show gave the most weight to was again, those kind of tensions, especially mm-hmm. with Jodie Foster's character and her daughter who is new Piac and like face, facing those kind of like, what does it mean to raise a daughter who I can't support in terms of her connection to her, mm-hmm. you know, ancestral past and present things like that. Uh, we should say that this season uh, centers predominantly around indigenous characters, the Alaskan community they're mm-hmm. from, and also the larger issue of missing and emerging indigenous women. How did you feel about the way that these things were handled throughout this season? I'm I'm asking this also acknowledging that, you know, this panel would have otherwise had an indigenous critic who could also respond to these questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say when this season was first announced and like we didn't know anything really about the subject matter, I was like, yes, Jodie Foster. Yes, yes, yes. And then I saw Kaylee and I was like, yes. Yeah. But then once we got into the nitty gritty about it and seeing how this is really uh, a story revolving around missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, as well as ex- extraction and exploitation of the land, yeah. I was like... I'm not sure we need this much Jody here. And I love me some Jody, you know, yes. and by, by the by the end of the season, I found myself again wondering what might it look like to watch a show that decentered Jody from that role that decentered this kind of narrative identify and identifying through narrative hump where you go in through Jody or you go in through yeah. Hallie Reese's character reconnecting. What might it be like to just go straight to the mean potatoes, so to speak? There's, a, there's that scene um, around the kitchen table where Jody finally sort of has a moment where she takes a backseat. Uh, and Kaylee's yeah. character is the one that's doing the talking, is the one that's doing the, hey, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do about this case now that we know the truth of what happened. Um, mm-hmm. It takes a while to get there, as you just mentioned. It takes a little while to get there. But when you do get there... I, f- I found that moment kind of satisfying. Is there something mm-hmm. is there something kind of redeeming about that moment for you? I wouldn't say redeeming. I think that's one of the few narratively speaking channels that the series could take without being deeply problematic. But also it felt kind of overdue, even as much as I enjoyed it. I was thinking a lot like True Detective itself is a very contentious series. It's very masculine. It's very much a whodunit. And I think... 
that given that kind of uh unpositioning if you will sure. it would have been interesting to me to see like a whodunit yeah a whodunit turn into like a we done it like what happens when we completely <laughs> switch the camera and we're like in within that group of women rather than at just at the end you know yeah a whodunit turned into a we done it should be a genre of film that we should create. And Sarah Ty, you're now in charge of this. Um, <laughs> we should talk a little bit about Issa Lopez, um, the creator of the season. Uh, Issa Lopez has talked about a lot about wanting to reverse the dynamics from season one. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that she mentioned um, is she said, you know, she's she her background is Mexican. She moved to California and she just kind of noticed, oh, my people here are kind of invisible. Like there is just an entire yeah. universe where people are just not paying attention to us. What would it happen if we set the same kind of story in a world where all the, the people who you expect to be at the center of these stories, the, the white scientists, mm -hmm. the white detectives are in fact treating as invisible all the indigenous people who are around them and this is a this is the sort of setup that she wanted to create she talked a little bit about the the fact that you know she wrote the first pass of the scripts and then um the community that she wanted to set this movie in um she said that she like basically created a council uh, of people who would give her notes on the scripts what do you make of the way that she has been open about having this conversation because you don't see a lot of um non-indigenous creators trying to say you know what it is also incumbent upon me to engage in these stories how do you feel about the way that Issa went about it mm -hmm. i mean i will say this is the very first season of true detective where it was like if only because it centered women's stories just in general sure. i was immediately like oh i want to watch this immediately as it comes out rather than on my own time and sort of like sort of like sift through these narratives that i don't really see myself in not that i need to but but just don't they don't hit that hard with me frankly sure. um i think if anything this season is a really uh interesting study in exactly that kind of work i don't think it's all the all the while that successful if you look at the season as a whole i wish you took it further you know yeah it's like i love i see all the kernels there and i wish all of them were driven a bit further which i'm sure i'm sure of course would like piss off the the nick pizzolato fans even more but for me i'm like let's let's fully commit to the bit like let's let's fully go into like indigenous cosmologies and the kind of supernatural and the mm -hmm. link to like neurodivergence like Let's do it. All right. First of all, I'm so glad that you brought up the Nick Pizzolatto and his fans um, because this has been kind of a parallel story that has been going on mm -hmm. as the season has been airing. Nick is a creator of True Detective, the showrunner for the last three seasons. Is This is the first season where he's not the showrunner. Um, he has not been quiet. Even though he's created credited in the opening credits of the show, he's not been chill. He's not been like, oh, I'm just going to support this project and keep my mouth shut. He's been actively posting people who have been kind of mean about the show what do you yeah. make of what do you make of, of of nick's um you know what do you what do you make of nick's very public criticism mm -hmm. of the first season that doesn't involve him it's giving wow wow baby it's giving <laughs> the touch my things it's giving how dare you try to incorporate my my ideas which you know to be fair i think there is definitely a criticism and how a lot of those were hollowly hollowly gestured to that said i think it's also like part of the act of like paying tribute to the work that came before yeah. i think that i mean what's the saying don't throw stones in glass houses nikki we all watch season two and frankly <laughs> even season one is not as untouchable as a lot of the fans would make it to be seeming like it's a it's a super masculinist narrative arc specifically in season one and two that i think even just from optics alone he should know better than to be kind of going so unprofessionally so kind of snarkily in his 
public critique. I think that's also allowing fans of his same demographic to feel more okay in calling out the show uh, along those terms rather than more kind of more in-depth criticisms that are grounded at anything beyond. I mean, truly, it's extraordinary that he did not have it in himself to just go with grace. Um, All you had to do was say nothing. All you had to do was truly Truly, just not comment on the season. All you had to say was nothing. nothing. And I think... Because this season has been so beloved by critics and maybe that does not sit well with his soul. I don't know what's going on there. But what Mm -hmm. I do know is I appreciate you being here, Sarah Ty. Thank you for your time, friend. Thank Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Sarah Ty Black is a culture critic based in Toronto. You can stream the entire season of True Detective Night Country right now on Crave. Hey, I'm journalist Sam Sanders. I'm poet Saeed Jones. And I'm producer Zach Stafford. And we are the hosts of a podcast called Vibe Check. On Vibe Check, we talk about everything. News, culture, and entertainment, and how it all feels. That's right. We talk about any and everything on our show, from real-life issues like grief to music and movie critiques. And that barely scratches the surface. Yes, indeed. And it doesn't stop there. We have got a lot to say. So join our group chat, Come to Life. Follow and listen to Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud, and you're listening to Commotion. Listen, by now, you've maybe seen your fair share of AI-generated videos online. Maybe you remember this one. It went viral maybe 10 months ago. It was Will Smith eating spaghetti. Uncle Bill, come try this. Fresh pasta of Bel Air. Woof. The reaction to that video was pretty much, all right, cool. So that's what AI-generated videos can do. Fun for a meme, but... Definitely not believable. Well, maybe we have a problem because fast forward to now when OpenAI has revealed what its latest generative technology can really do. And let's just say the results are staggering. Sora converts text into super realistic videos, which are almost on par with a Hollywood film. We've turned to Sinead Bovell a few times on the show to help us kind of wrap our heads around the latest developments with artificial intelligence. She's back with us this morning. Sinead, how's it going, friend? Hi, great to be back. I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I'm I'm a little uh, not disturbed, but shook maybe by the capabilities of Sora. We got to talk about it. This is one of those moments where I wish people could see what we're talking about. So you're going to have to use your words. Uh, maybe describe some of the videos that OpenAI showed us last week. Oh, great. I, I mean, where to even start? So so there were a few that really stood out to me. I'd say one is, uh, it's like a Pixar style video uh, of an animated little bear yeah. that's quite enamored by a candle. That one got a lot of retweets and comments and hearts. Uh, there's one of a grandmother in an instructional cooking session for her homemade gnocchi. And yeah. it's a beautiful rustic countryside kitchen. Uh, and I think the one that has garnered the most attention is a couple walking in Tokyo in the snow and you can actually see the snow blowing in the wind and people shopping at nearby stalls. So it really does transplant you to Tokyo, even if it's just for those short few seconds. Is there one that particularly blew you away? There was one, I think, of a of a grandmother that was blowing out candles on a okay. cake for her birthday. 
and the expression of joy and her family behind her waving and excited. And it just seems so pure. And that one really caught my attention. You felt like you were there, that you've seen that grandmother, you've been to that birthday, and it really transported you to that room. This is one of those moments where I'm uncomfortable admitting it because I'm like, yeah, I saw that one and I was really moved by it. And I and I, and I kind of had to sit with myself and go like, what does it mean to be moved by a video made entirely by AI? And that's a question we're going to get to at some point. That is not, that's too, too big a question. Maybe let's just start by saying, how does it work? How does Sora work? Right. So, so Sora, it's a text-to-video generator. So if you're f- familiar with something like ChatGPT, where you give it a line of text and it generates an essay, Sora is kind of like the video version of that. You give it a prompt of what you want it to generate, a few lines of text, and it will turn that into a video. Uh, and right now, the videos are only about a minute in length. But it doesn't just work with videos. You could have it extend an existing video that you're working on. You could turn an image that you have into a video, uh, or maybe you have a short video and you want it to kind of repeat on a loop, like some some editing tricks. It can do all of that, and it can essentially extend videos forward and backwards in time. So this is nuts to me because contrast that with the AI videos that we were seeing with the Will Smith spaghetti video from 10 months ago. How far has has this technology come in just a short 10 months? I mean, I think the theme of of AI breakthroughs in the last two years is just shock and awe. If you were to see that Will Smith video, it almost seems like it was from five years ago and it was just somebody (laughs) doing it in their basement uh, on some old 1990s computer program comparatively to to the new videos by Sora. So it is quite stunning. And even people within the AI industry are quite shocked uh, and kind of questioning, you know, what is this moment that we're in right now? I, uh, I, I, this is the question I always want to put to the AI folks is, hey, you've seen how far you've progressed. Do you feel the need to continue to progress at the same pace? Because I'm getting a little concerned about how, where we could be in just a few short months. So if the technology's evolved that much in less than a year, I can't imagine where we'll be a year from now. Um, if I'm just going to think about 10 months from now, hey, that's a U.S. election you know, in the calendar. What are the biggest risks, in your opinion, of this pace of progression, do you think? The risks, and you're you're completely right. I mean, it being one of the biggest election years in history, uh, deep fakes and the power of misinformation and disinformation just got an astronomical upgrade with a video system like this. Because now you can not only clone somebody's voice and create an image of them not doing something that never happened, you can have the video, the deep fake video to go with it. I think we all are a little scarred by what happened to to Taylor Swift with the AI-generated imagery. And what happens to many other many other victims? Now you can imagine that sort of content, but in video, uh, and also some of the biases that are baked into these systems. We don't know what data was used to train it, uh, and then all sorts of just different ways that these systems can be misused. Uh, and as you had mentioned, the speed at which these systems are being deployed—it's yeah. really hard to anticipate and put guardrails on in time. I uh, so much of the conversation actually about Taylor Swift they were having maybe a couple of weeks ago was hey will she will she not endorse you know Joe Biden in my head I was like ten months from now it could be very easily the case that someone could just produce a video of Taylor Swift endorsing Donald Trump and we would have a very difficult you know uh, time trying to falsify whether that is real or not. 
What is OpenAI saying about the precautions it will take with Sora before it makes it accessible to the public? Because that's the part that's coming next. You know, the part that's coming next is the let everybody else use it. Yeah, so OpenAI, they are aware of the potential harms and the power of a system like Sora. So right now they haven't, there's no open release date. So it's only available to people who work at OpenAI. Um, if you tweet at Sam Altman, the CEO, he might, and, and with the, a prompt you want it, you want them to generate, you might luck out and have him uh, create the video for you. <laughs> sure. But right now it's not open to, to the public. And I think that's for, for very good reason. How long do they are they going to hold out for? I don't suspect it's going to be very long. Mm. We've been here before with their text generator. They did say at one point this could create uh, potential harms for society. And next thing you know, it was GPT-3, 3.5, ChatGPT-4. Um, so I don't I don't suspect. I suspect by, by mid-year or at least before the end of the year, we're all going to have our hands on, on this system. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm someone who's sort of against technological progress. I don't, I don't think that's like the last thing that anybody wants. But I think the idea here is the fact that all so much of AI prog- progress um, is being made by private companies um, in terms of you know, and, and they they're doing it for profit, for eventual profit. That's a part that I think is ringing my alarm bells. Is that ringing your alarm bells too? In terms of who is actually in charge of pushing us forward when it comes to AI. It does. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, private sector can move faster yes. um, and is much more known for innovation. So that's a plus. But at the end of the day, the private sector has a fiduciary duty to shareholders, not to the general public, first and foremost. And so that does come with inherent conflicts of interest and reasons for concern. And that is why government uh, and policy exists for those checks and balances. Yeah. I don't think tech should be regulating itself. The problem is when it comes to industries like science and technology, there's also the knowledge gap between people who are setting the policies and those who are building the technologies. Yeah. Uh, when you mentioned that knowledge gap, the first thing that pops to mind is Mark Zuckerberg testifying in front of, I see you face bombing literally because you know the moment <laughs> I'm going to mention, but it's you know somebody asking Mark Zuckerberg, um, hey, how does Facebook m- make money? And Mark Zuckerberg's face is just like, Senator, we run ads. And it's like, you do so much more than that. But if the folks who are in charge of regulating these industries don't know the questions to ask, um, then we are, I don't know who we are at the mercy of. Sinead, I'm worried, but every time I'm worried, I'm going to have you back on the show. Thank you for your time and thank you for being here. You're the best. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been a great time. Of course. Sinead Bavel is a futurist originally from Guelph, Ontario. She's also the founder of Way, a, te- a tech education company. We reached her in the UK. And that is it for the podcast today. Remember, you can listen to any episode of Commotion anytime you like, wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, if you've got a moment, check us out on Instagram. We are at CommotionCBC. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm going to be here tomorrow. So if you're going to be here, I would love to see you then. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.